Welcome back to LP Parsha Podcast, your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week we'll do a light dive into this week's Parsha. We'll zoom in on a passage that catches our eye and then connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. This week's Torah portion is Korach. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by Aaron Rotenberg, still always here. How are you so, doing this week, Paul? I'm good. You know, this is another week where we saw each other again outside of the podcast. I went to Aaron's house for Shabbat lunch. Uh, uh-huh. Had a few other friends over, including our spouses, too. Um, but no, no dogs. So that was a disappointment. It's true. Like, uh, I have this wonderful Shih Tzu Poodle called Ivy and Aaron's spouse, Jenny, loves her. But she's also such a hassle to bring places because she's... Uh, she doesn't usually pee in other people's houses, but she has this weird dynamic that if it's someone mm-hmm. she's met less than 10 times and enjoyed spending time with, she'll pee herself. So it's always that possible. She won't pee herself. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we need to build up uh, our IV time to ensure that we're safe on that front. Exactly. Good to know. She just needs a little bit of uh, time. Yeah. And uh, my other fun thing is I I got to chat once a, once a month I chat with my brother. Huh. Well, that makes that makes it sound infrequent, but uh, yeah, you know, we just make it. A, That's a good amount. You know? And he was like, "Tell me about your philosophy on religion," and I was like, "You know what? Huh. Listen to my podcast." You, you know what? I'm not going to tell you <laughs> unless you subscribe and listen. Do you feel yeah. like you talk about your religious philosophy? Are we? Is that what we do here? I, I think it comes through implicitly. I think you can learn yeah. things about us. Like I, I'd say that you and I are not very like ironic people. I think we have a lot of. I think we're very kind of earnest in our religiousness. Mm-hmm. So um, we try. So if someone's listening. They're not going to be like, "Oh, these are kind of like very postmodern, looking through the looking glass." I'm like, "Oh, I'd, I'd say we're kind of like viewing things through a somewhat." religious lens without any irony yeah. you know so sure. just what's old is new again like being not ironic is ironic um <laughs> so i, I think it's, you can I never think win i think it's very much pushing it a lot. but yeah so it's lovely to spend time with you that saturday aaron i'm trying to think of anything religiously significant came up that day um we had custard tarts which uh you know, mm. not religiously significant, but custard tarts originate from Portugal and Portuguese Jews invented fish and chips. So there's the Jewish connection. I can also say that I share the pastel de nata. Very good. That's my pronunciation. Really. Very good. Uh, with one of my, because Paul and James brought extra, brought, were very generous in their custard tarts. And I offered one to my B. Mitzvah student who I had the next day. And he was so excited. It was his, his last uh, session with me before his mitzvah uh, this coming Shabbat. And he's like, whoa, this is a great treat for my last mitzvah session. It's like, yes, I'm glad that I provided this. No, I really, I said that my friends brought it. Custard tarts are a lot like Torah, like they're flaky and deep. Uh, and sweet, sweet and nurturing. It's true. It's nurturing. It sustains you. Like there's a base. Um, 
to it. Just the same way how, you know, in the book of Genesis, each odd number day is like a base for the even number days. Um, mm, and you just want to swallow it up. And we have swallowing to talk about in this week's Parsha. We have a lot of swallowing to talk about. And I'm really mm-hmm. interested because when you sent me your passage before our conversation, I looked up the passage as well and I found a different translation. So I think this uh-huh. in itself is worth a conversation. So I will give it to you We're to get into first it. A, describe what does Korach mean and B, to do the one minute summary. And C, to also share your line with us. You're, you're just leading today. You're, you're a leader. I'm happy to jump in. I get the Korach. I, I, I guess this is part of, I should know that this is now a question that you do ask every time. What does this, the name of this Parsha mean? Uh, but I didn't have it prepared because Korach is a name of a character. Um, and like some of these other names, like, mm, let's say Moses and Aaron or, especially Aaron. It's like not clear what that name means. It's probably just some Egyptian name. And Korach also is the name of somebody in the tribe of uh, the Levites. Sometimes names have like other meanings. Actually, Moses is a good example of this. There's some like uh, folk, probably not true etymology, that means, or the Torah says, Min mishitihu. I drew him out of the water. And so there's some like misconjugated understanding of Moshe being drawn up from the water. But Korach doesn't have any explicit explanation of what that name itself means. But Korach Korach was... He read. Uh, That's how... Because Kor is the Shoresh for reading, right? Oh, Korach. He read. Him, the reader. The reader. Maybe there is something there. Uh, but he read pretty, uh, if he was reading something, it was rebellious, to say the least, because Korach ends up being uh, pushing pushing people outside of their comforts. He really gets on Moses' nerves, as I'm about to tell you. I think I want to hear about this, but probably no more than about a minute. I will, only, I will not tell you for longer than a minute. Uh in this summary that's Let's going to start now <laughs> in this week's Parsha Parshat Korach Korach brings some friends together and says hey Moses and Aaron what's so special about you we're also Levites how come you're all in charge we should also like have some what's all this hierarchical power let's uh have some more diffuse and uh, not necessarily democratic. Just like let's share share some power. Uh, and Moses is like, "You jerk! I never took a single one of your donkeys. Why are you coming and uh, questioning my leadership?" And uh, try to I don't know. Moses tries to call over some other the rebellious people to Tanan Abiram. So it's like let's have a conversation. They're like, "No, we're not happy about your leadership." And then God is again like threatening to destroy everybody. It ends up happening that uh, they all kind of, the people that were questioning the leadership all gather together. And God says, through Moses, if you 
or we're making the wrong decision, the earth is going to swallow you up whole. And then the earth does that and swallows all the rebellious people up whole. And then uh, there's a continuing kind of fire or thing malady that breaks out and that starts killing people as well. And Aaron has to come with a incense and saves the people a little bit. And there's probably something else that happens at the end, but I don't remember. And they all have, oh, and then the, there's something with the staffs that Paul's trying to say, I'm out of time. And there's another test and the people who brought the challenged Aaron with their incense, their pans get hammered into a cover for something of the tabernacle, but I didn't explain the challenge. Uh, okay. And time. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's interesting too, like, uh, it sounds just like any kind mm-hmm. of board meeting of the Jewish community I've ever been to. It's like... Uh, Why are you in charge, right? Yeah. Why well, yeah, exactly? Why are you in charge? Who made you chair of this board? Yeah, exactly. Um, which is funny, too, because one of the words in this passage, too, I think, is from where the name we use for synagogue dues comes from, Teruma. Oh, Teruma, um, yeah. Nice. So, but I know you had passage. Well, I want to get to the passage too, but I also want to say, because we left, we introduced this idea of lighting a candle from the Havdalah candle last time, and we lit this idea uh, when we ended Shlach, the story of the spies last week, we said that there's this ending mitzvah, commandment around wearing fringes, tzitzit. And then after the tzitzit, there's the story of Korach. And uh, the Midrash asks well, what's the relationship with a previous section of the tzitzit and Korach? So they tell this, so that's, we, we left that question. And it, it's not clear from the text itself, but the Midrash, right, is this rabbinic works that kind of fill in holes in understanding and are kind of a little bit fanciful. And this is like a fanciful narrative uh, embellishment that imagines uh, that the people just received this commandment that on your on your garments, you should put these fringes, and one of the fringes should be techelet, should be blue like the sky. And then Korach has his snarky comment. He's like, oh, well, what if I have a garment that's all as blue as the sky? Do I still need to put a blue fringe on Moses? And Moses is like, uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> and then Chorus like, oh, that's so dumb. And then he has like more questions. He's like, well, if I have a house full of Torah scrolls, do I still have to put a mezuzah on the door? And Moses is like, uh, yeah, you do. And Chorus is like, that's so dumb because there's already the mezuzah that's already in the Torah scroll. So the Midrash imagines him like, <laughs> like questioning through the sort of probably like rabbinic halachic sort of way of trying to like poke questions in his like whatever logic Moses is bringing and Korach is imagining like oh this is not this logic doesn't make sense it can't be from God you must just be making it up and like that's how they're imagining this where this attack is coming from you can just tell Korach would be the worst person to like watch a movie with like how did the beasts Servants become furniture. Doesn't make any sense. Like, you just probably would have 
something stupid to say. Something, yeah, right. They're, they're trying to, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if this Midrash makes look, Korach look good or bad. There is part of me that feels sympathetic to Korach. Like, yeah, why, what's, what is so great about Moses? Like, I guess we, Moses is sympathetic because he's always struggling, but right, like, and I think a little bit, like, they seem a little bit whiny or the people are whiny general and it seems like maybe Korach and his followers are being whiny which maybe we don't like in the Torah but I'm curious where is this I feel like do you know where it's from specifically where's from? yes uh it, just you can hear my mouse clicking it's from Midrash Amibar Rabba 18.3 what are all these what are those books <laughs> you know this is not the yeah, time so what are these other books sometimes there are I'm different like, collection yeah. i'm like who wrote mm-hmm. this? Who, so i don't i'm not actually sh- safaria is very good at telling you information about books can i click on it you're saying it's just uh, a different collection of something from someone yeah, so there's different co- collections of midrashim. Uh, these are uh, there's both uh, midrash agada and midrash halacha. There's different kinds of these fanciful explanations. Some are that are more, some are more uh, based on laws, and some are more based on stories. This particular one, and they're on each different book of the Torah. There's like collections of early rabbinic midrashim. This particular one, Bamidbar Rabbah, is a 12th century Midrash on the book of Numbers, right? The name of the book that we're in is Numbers in English, Bamidbar in Hebrew, with an interpretive part and a homiletic part. This is what this brief explanation says. It's interesting. I always remember these Rabbah books, and I'm like, I don't know who, where these come from. I were like, Tosafot. I'm like... Yeah, I think that Rabbah, yeah, the Midrashim, these uh, Agadic Midrashim often are called like the name of the book Rabbah. Um, and I think Rabbah, like when we say Toda Rabbah, which means thank you very much, I think it's kind of just saying, to, I think it means something like extra, kind of like bonus material. So it's like the bonus ex- expanded version of, <laughs> that's at least how I understand it. I don't know if that's if that's real. Oh, I, I just assume it's like a a, a Rebbe wrote about Bamidbar, like Bamidbar uh-huh. Rabbi, like a, hmm. someone just like that could be too nickname for a Rabbi. He's like Rabbi, like I don't know, hmm. um, right? That is the name of some Talmudic rabbis, and it is quoting rabbis saying various things. So. Rabbi, great waters. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a word. So you had a passage you wanted to zoom in on. I'm curious where you got this English translation for this passage. First, if you could name the number, like what this verse and chapter is and where where you're reading it from. Yeah, I was suggesting we look at, we zoom in on numbers 1633 and I just looked at my Safari translation. Which one was that? You want to know? So you're up from Safari. Safari is usually JPS, isn't it? Yeah, probably the JPS set. 
So let's, um, why don't I read first the English that I read of that passage. Mm -hmm. You read the Hebrew, but then read the the English you sent me. Um, Wait, that doesn't make it easy to compare. Why don't you do the Hebrew and English first? And then I will do the English that I read. Um, How's that sound? Great. I'll do my Hebrew and English. Here we go. Yeah. My English says, the JPS English says, they went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them and the earth closed over them and they vanished from the midst of the congregation. And what I read from my best friend, Chabad.org, uh, mm-hmm. was they, and all they possessed, descended alive into the grave. The earth covered mm-hmm. them up, and they were lost to the assembly. Mm-hmm. So um, it seems like there's some intentional, or maybe unintentional, differences there in that translation. Um, in one yeah. big way, obviously, that we could zoom in on. Yeah, so, we're, so the Hebrew does say Sheola, which means to Sheol. This is like a more direct translation. And I am curious about like what this Sheol is. Uh, that's part of why I wanted to bring, bring this and write the interpretation that you have brings some, the translation brings some interpretation of saying like to the grave, but it does at least seem like they're go, they're descending. And there is often this sense that there is some underworld that is referenced in various other places in the Torah. And Right, the it feels like the Bible, the Torah is like revealing something about its sense of what happens after you die, that you go down to this Sheol place, and then maybe it's this like place under the world. And here we have this moment where the people are punished by going down directly alive into this sort of underworld place. it's almost more frightening to me because you hear about it so infrequently. Like, what is a Sheol? Like, yeah. It's not like another or other two major Abrahamic religions where it seems like hell and heaven are much more clear, like in terms of their dichotomy, their purpose. This ambiguity, I think, is like very frightening that just once in a while, like Sheol, like you can get <laughs> pulled into this underworld. So, like, so your understanding. And the common understanding, the shot, I guess, of Shoal is like, it is a bad underworld for the dead, so to speak. So I, I'm not sure about the bad piece, actually. Like here, it's clear that it's a punishment, but it kind of just seems like that's where you go. Like it's not the same way. It's not like only the bad people go to Shoal. So, but it is like not clear. I think you're, you're right to point out that it's not fully expounded. Like it kind of just, it feels like it's referencing this tradition. Like, oh, of course you know about Sheol, but we no longer know about Sheol. So we don't know. We don't quite understand how it works. I don't know too much about Sheol. I can feel it quivering beneath my feet. <laughs> right. Specifically but, the corner. I, Woodbine and Gerard. No, I'm kidding. There's nothing there. Oh, that's right. 
Yeah, but right, the, the story does make it seem like it's, it's always potentially just like underneath you and the ground could open up and you could f- slip into Sheol, right? Which is, uh, right, that there is something very, you like Jewish horror story. I feel like this is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do like Jewish could horror. Be the start, start of lots of stories. There's lots of great, well, there's more and more great Jewish horror movies. Um, and I just also want to get a little Talmudic here as well before we get to the horror aspect as well is that, um, it feels extra commonly because I was listening to another Jewish podcast, the Bonjour Chai within the Canadian Jewish News, hmm. featuring the host Rabbi Avi Feingold, who I think we both know, and Phoebe Maltzbovi, who we both don't know, and producer Zachary Poffin, who we do both know, um, just to make sure we're crediting yes. everyone. And they were talking about these signs in New York called Jew Belong. Um, I guess hmm. it's some sort of pro Judaism billboards. Um, and one of them is, uh, I wrote it down here. Um, Judaism, come for your girlfriend, stay for the lack of hell. And Rabbi Avi Feingold correctly said, people have this concept that Jews don't have heaven and hell, but there are some groups within Judaism where heaven and hell are very prominent. People do talk about heaven and hell, like certain kind of mainstream kind of normative Judaism. It's not so important, but there are some groups for whom it is important and it does come up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was kind of worth mentioning. Like, we can't be like, ha, there's no hell in Judaism. There is sometimes for some people, some of the time, and there's some focus depending on who you are, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that is true. That there are, right, th- things that are maybe akin to hell, these like purgatory sort of states. But there's something that I like, and it's, it gets uh, maybe, it does the different as you're pointing out and Rabbi Avi Feingold is pointing out correctly that it gets uh, expounded like in later tradition and something in the biblical tradition, I think is a little bit different. It just kind of is like, it's, it's uh, not, I guess I just want to say again, that I think Sheol is not functioning like hell exactly here that, or I got this, uh, I, I'm still thinking about this framework from Rabbi Kohen and Jill Hammer, who gave a, a talk about like the biblical cosmology and worldview that there is this plane where the humans and things are happening. And then there's Shemaim. There's this uh, upper world where like things happen and things live. And then there's like the depths and the lower worlds, which is Sheol, but also like the deep, in the water and there's also things that happen there and then there's also and i i feel like that vertical plane and i think we've also talked more in uh leviticus about the horizontal plane that there's like the camp and then there's the sanctum inside and the outs outside of camp outside and people like move through in different places and you can move up and down and side to side and there's just different uh, orientations. You say about Cheryl that it doesn't function like hell, but it appears like in this passage, people are truly being punished for wrongdoing. So it does seem to be functioning somewhat like a traditional hell as we understand it, is it not? It could just be that I don't know what we understand as hell. Like, it's hell not sure that they're being punished there. Like, you know, you're going or, to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like... I guess it just seems like they've been moved out is I think what I'm, is how I'm reading it. Not that they're being like tormented by 
uh, demons, which is, I think, what I assume is just what maybe what media has taken from Christianity, that there's like some on, or I don't know, like from uh, who read about like the seven. Because demons and Judaism hang out in abandoned buildings, if I recall. Right, they're right. all they're all still in the building. The they're not even in show. <laughs> yeah, they're not show. They're in abandoned buildings. I think this is right, and that, like Satan, or like the uh, instigator, is like hanging out maybe with God, God in the heavens. Right? It's like not necessarily. There's also like bad forces in the sky as well, not only below. Yeah, and then maybe more. there's also I want to like I think that I want to also try to read it as that there's good and positive forces below that might have been like uh, hit a strand that did exist, and this is like a little bit doing some of this like reconstructive things that the Torah is. Pro- I think you're probably right that the Torah is trying to like have this uh, priority that like what's below and like things that having to do with the dead, like those need to be pushed aside. Like don't be chatting with those did we talk about like the yidoni like the the soothsayers the like don't interact with people that are trying to connect you with the dead like biblical religion is trying to push that away but it does there are like these hints that like oh maybe there is interaction that could happen there and i'm curious about seeing those moments maybe because we they don't want to interact because it is dangerous because you could end up in Cheryl, although you're saying it could be a great place. It's maybe the- powerful too is I think what I want to say. Yeah. And maybe also like I'm gonna contradict myself that I know I said everyone thinks there's no heaven and hell in Judaism. There absolutely is sometimes mm. for some people. Mm. But then to go back that there is no heaven and hell piece again, I'm like um in rabbinic Judaism, I mean this definitely was not true of the I guess what are they called? Who are those ascetics we were talking about a few weeks ago? Mm-hmm. In rabbinic Judaism? In the Torah, a few weeks ago, we had these ascetics. The Nazarites. Nazarites. Um, we don't have Nazarites. Well, we have at least two. Uh, we generally don't have Nazarites anymore because rabbinic Judaism has an emphasis on life and living. Things that are um, delay living are not good. Um, so I think mm. religions that focus like be good, go to heaven, you're bad, go to hell. It's too much focus on the abstract and not enough on the now. Like you must be... Mm here and alive. And that's why some people might be surprised when, um, you know, for example, I, I don't like talking about anything political ever. So I'll just do this momentarily. <laughs> We're just going to, before we go one last political word from Paul, here we go. Yep. Paul. <laughs> I know. I'm like, if you uh, have complaints, you can write through <laughs> But in some understandings of rabbinic Judaism, you know, abortion that protects the woman is permissible because um, that person's already alive as opposed to something that is not alive yet, really. So, um, I mean, that's, that's how mm-hmm. kind of I've interpreted why Judaism seems to be more lenient as opposed to, let's say certain mm-hmm. groups in the United States. Um, that's not true. I know some Jewish groups are against abortion, but I just kind of always connected to the, this, that there's this immediate life that mm-hmm. is here that we have to focus on rather than a potential. That's why like immediacy in the, in the now, unlike kind of, other faiths that might be more concerned in heaven or hell because there's this lack of immediacy to it. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think coming back around to the immediacy of this moment, right? Which maybe Korach wasn't able to appreciate 
And I think we've uh, got through a lot today. <laughs> trying, to, trying to continue to work on my hair, uh, tying it together. I know that's usually your thing, Paul, five minutes beforehand to try to, to take us down. You're doing a great job. But we explored versions of how Judaism might relate to heaven and hell in different ways and whether or not it's important and inspired by the story of Korach and seeing some of the rebellious people go down into this Shoal place. That was the, our section that we focused on. And yes, maybe there's something in the rebelliousness that's like around missing this moment. And instead hoping, looking, looking off to a different possible future. And maybe we can get stuck in it, even if we look too much to the, the past and the world of the dead. So yeah. I, yeah, I wish us a l'chaim to life. Uh, as we continue yeah, learning. Like, yeah. That's not an anti-abortion slogan. I'm, I'm referencing the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we also touched on abortion. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't touch on it. No, 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 we didn't. Um, but so great learning with you this week, Paul. So great learning with you too, Aaron. And as always, I, oh, you said, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have it written down. As always, I'm your co co-host uh, Aaron Rotenberg and, and as always I'm one of your co-pilots Paul Saleka 